Father God, would you please speak to us now through your word? Would you show us the wonders of the treasures of Jesus? Amen. In the last few weeks, we've been looking through uh, the book of Ephesians, and today we come to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Uh, the uh, second of our readings. And I think that this passage includes one of the most astonishing verses in the Bible. Uh, I don't know whether you're like me, and um, I wonder if you've ever found yourself really thirsty. You hadn't realized quite how thirsty you were. You have a drink of water, but all it does is make you feel more thirsty and you need to drink another glass, and another glass, and another glass, and you end up so full of water that you basically become water. You don't walk around, you slosh around. Well, this passage is astonishing because Paul says that we can be filled, we can be saturated, not with water, but with all the fullness of God. That you will be so filled with God that you will be like God. Verse 19, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians, Paul has been speaking about the blessings that we have when we are in Christ in Christ. We've thought about that in terms of being like pieces of paper placed in a book so that where Christ is, we are. Or in terms of being in a place in St Andrews. Or in terms of being bricks or stones built together into a building. The big idea has been that we're in this together. That's the significant word in Ephesians. In Christ we are interconnected, dependent on each other and dependent on Jesus. I am part of him, you are part of him, and therefore we are part of each other. More than that, we share in the identity of Jesus so that where he is, we are, We possess what he possesses. His death was our death. His resurrection will be our resurrection. His purpose or mission will be our purpose and mission. And his destiny is our destiny. But now, if you notice, in these verses, Paul changes the picture. Now he focuses on the fact that it is not we who are in Christ, but Christ, God, who comes and lives in us. I think it's easier for us to understand this picture. I have here a very small bit of bounty. I love bounty. For those of you who don't know what bounty is, Pat and others, it's chocolate around coconut. And it is Mm. It is lovely. 
The thing about that bounty is that bounty has come into me. It has actually become part of me. It will change me. There will be, and please, I'm very conscious we have scientists here, and this is a completely unscientific description of the process, and it's completely true, but there will be a few bounty-shaped cells or stuff in me. Well, so by faith, Christ says that he will come into us and live in us, and he will change us. He will fill us, and the more that we allow him to fill us, the more full of God we will become. And that's what Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians. He starts by saying in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. A couple of things. First of all, I guess that he is reminding us that the thing that we think separates us, our name, whether it's Rogers or Bikover or Kirk or Culbertson or Wamriu or Volkov or Lee, what separates us is actually something that unites us. We do not just have a biological unity in that if you go back far enough, we are all descended from one couple, but we have a God-given unity. The Father in heaven has named all the families on earth. He has named each of us, and the Father of Jesus would be Father to us all. And secondly, when Paul prays, he says that he bows the knee before the Father. That's actually rather unusual. There are very few occasions and references in the Bible to people praying by bowing or kneeling. The usual Jewish posture for prayer was standing. Why say bow and kneel here? It's a mark of submission, and I'm not completely sure. Perhaps it's because he's praying such an amazing prayer. But I would suggest that in our own praying, we use different postures. Prostration, kneeling, standing, raising hands. don't know whether you've seen early images of Christians praying nearly often like this, people praying like this, um, and not just sitting. And Paul prays for three things. First of all, he prays that the Ephesian Christians will be strengthened in their inner being with power through the Spirit. We're talking here about the power of God. Paul's already spoken about this power earlier in the letter. This is a power which is far greater than any power exercised by any human authority or even demonic powers. Chapter 1, verse 21. It's far greater than any physical power, whether electromagnetic, gravitational, or even nuclear. Think of a nuclear explosion. This power is greater than that. This is the power which brought something from nothing, which created all things and all powers in the first place. And this is the power which brings things back from the dead. 
This power was at work when God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in heaven. Chapter 1, verse 19. (coughs) I used to think that this was a prayer, that God would strengthen me with power so that I could work miracles, heal people with my prayers, transform political situations, and convert people so that I would be a walking powerhouse. But over time, I've come to realise that there's a problem when I ask for that sort of power. Of course, I long to see the kingdom of God, the rule of God, come in power. And I've seen things happen. But here, the problem is the little word, me. I wanted the power in myself and for myself. Jesus had access to this divine cosmic power, but at the beginning of his ministry, when he was tempted, the devil urges him to use this power in order to provide for himself, to get people to trust in him and obey him. But Jesus demonstrates his real power in this, that even after fasting for 40 days, He refuses to listen to Satan. That's the sort of power that we're talking about here. This is not the power that puts me over other people. This is not the power which compels other people to do what I want. This is not the power that will make my life or the lives of those I love pain-free. This is not the power which makes the, to make everybody think I'm wonderful. This is not the power which means that others will kneel before me. This is the power which enables me to humble myself and kneel before others, even those who despise and hate me. This is the power which takes someone who was spiritually dead and which gives me life. It's the power which will equip me to serve the people who this world considers the most insignificant, to persevere in my obedience to Christ even when life is hard, frustrating, or boring, to walk the way of the cross, to rejoice in sufferings, to make the painful decisions, to forgive another person, to give all that I have, to be bold of speaking of Jesus, to be a servant of the gospel, to be a peacemaker, to constantly repent and struggle with sin, to be renewed inwardly. This is the power which takes self-centered individuals and allows them to be built together with others so that we become fellow citizens and members of the same household. And this is the power which will one day raise this physical body when it's six feet under or when it's being cremated so that what is mortal will become immortal. And Paul prays that we will be strengthened with this power through the Holy Spirit living in us. Secondly, Paul prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. He's prayed for strength, now he prays for our heart, the very centre of our being. He prays that Christ will come and live in us and be at the centre, that Christ will shape our emotions and feelings and will that when we respond to a person or a situation, it will not just be me responding, but Christ in me. 
Think of baptism as an illustration of this. We, we um, usually uh, use our little fonts and sprinkle people water on the person being baptised. But I was told last week that we do have a blow-up pool here that has been used for baptisms. And I saw a great photo of Simon, one of my predecessors, baptising a Nigerian diplomat. When someone is baptised by immersion, going right down under the water, it's a great illustration of how in baptism we die to ourselves, to our old nature, our sins, our rightness, um, the things we put our trust in, our achievements and success and failures. We die to them. It's about, like, imagine we're a computer. It's as if the old hard drive is wiped clean but when we come up out of the water, we are rebooted, but this time with Jesus. And we come up alive to Jesus, to his life, his values, his purpose, his desires, his strength, his love. Now, it doesn't matter how or when we were baptised. What is important is that we have literally and symbolically in baptism died to ourselves and come alive to Jesus. The problem is that before we were baptised, just to take this illustration a little bit further, before our hard drive was wiped clean, we made up a backup disk of our old life. And we cherish it. We hold it here, close to our heart. We want to put it into our heart. We keep slipping it back, the old me, into the computer. We live as if this is the true version of me and we push Jesus out. But Paul is praying that we take that out again and that we put Christ in, that we live in our hearts by faith. Obviously, I can't cut you open and find Jesus there, but if we put our trust in him, he will live in us. So Paul writes in Galatians 2, 19, I have been crucified with Christ. And this is a great verse, especially if you worry about who you are and the whole question of identity. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So we pray with Paul that Christ will live in us, in our hearts, at the centre of our being. We pray that he will help us get rid of that old backup disc, throw it away, and live as the rebooted model. And thirdly, Paul prays that we will understand the love of Christ even though it's beyond understanding. Paul gets so carried away here, I don't know whether you noticed this when Dan, Daniel, Dan was reading it for us, that the sentence is uncompleted. He says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Yes, it doesn't finish. You see, he wants us to comprehend the amazing depth and height of the love of Christ. Paul wants us, wants you to know just how much God loves you, how much he desires intimacy with you, that you should be part of him and he should be part of you. He wants you to know God's delight in you, in who he made you to be and who you, he would have you become. People have often talked about how the image of the cross is a picture of this. The cross planted deep into the ground 
and reaching up to heaven. The love of Christ cost Jesus everything, but his death on the cross unites earth and heaven. The perfect human dies in perfect obedience. God sacrifices his own heart for you. And the cross brings peace between human beings and God. And the crossbar reaching out to east and west. The love of Christ unites men and women from all places and all times. He died for each of us. He died for all of us. That's why it's only together with all the saints, did you notice that in the passage, that we can comprehend this love. I'll glimpse a bit of it. Maggie will glimpse a bit of it. Uh, Mike will glimpse a bit of it. Uh, Jeffrey will glimpse a, a, a bit of it. And together we'll glimpse more of it. But as I said, Paul doesn't quite finish that sentence. He's thinking of the love of Christ and gets caught up in another thought. He doesn't just want us to understand this love, and this is very important. He doesn't want us just to understand it with our head. He, he doesn't just want us to say, wow, that's amazing. He wants them and he wants us to know this love, to experience and encounter this love. Many people speak of how they can begin to understand the love of God in, with their head, but they long for that experience to move to their hearts, to move 12 inches from a head knowledge that says, I'm told that Jesus loves me, to a heart knowledge that says, I know Jesus loves me. That's what Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians. It's what we can pray for each other, and it does happen. Sometimes dramatically, sometimes gradually, we begin to become aware that God loves us. And it's as we begin to know the love of God, even though it's a love that is beyond human understanding, even though it will take us all of eternity and a little bit longer to fully know that love, so we will become love. And so we will be saturated with the love of God, filled, filled with all the fullness of God. That, brothers and sisters, is your destiny. That is my destiny. That one day we will be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.